Hello, everybody. Welcome to You Are Good Feelings podcast about movies. I am Alex Steed, one of your co-hosts. I will soon be joined by my fabulous co-host, Sarah Marshall. And we will also be joined by Dana Schwartz, who we adore, who has been on the show several times before, who's been on Sarah's show, You're Wrong About, one of those times talking about the actual story of Anastasia. So this is a fun companion piece to that and a continuation of our ongoing adoration for all things Dana Schwartz, who has a podcast called Noble Blood. And she has a book out called Anatomy, A Love Story, which be sure to check it out. If you like this conversation, you like all the things that Dana does, check out Anatomy, A Love Story. So super quickly, we're talking about the 1997 animated feature Anastasia in this episode. And in that context, we talk about Don Bluth. Anastasia was a Don Bluth film. There are a bunch of other Don Bluth films that you might know about. We have The Secret of Nim, of course. We have An American Tale, The Land Before Time, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. He started his career at Walt Disney Productions in 1955. He left the company in 1979 to start his own animation studio. And we talk a lot about the impact of Don Bluth's oeuvre on our lives. Also, I just learned uh, he and Mitt Romney are cousins. So that's a thing about Don Bluth. Oh, content warning. We talk about what happened to Anastasia, her siblings, and her family, and it's uh, it's grisly. It's upsetting stuff what ended up happening to them. We also talk about it a bit occasionally, I think this is largely me, with a touch of gallows humor just to just process how intense it is. And so I just want you to know that that is coming up. There's no specific point in the episode. It just comes up throughout the episode. And if that is not the sort of thing for you, that's totally understandable. And we have many other episodes that don't have content warnings that uh, you can enjoy throughout the You Are Good catalog. Just a couple of quick things before we kick off. First, You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thank you so much for supporting us on patreon.com slash youaregood, where you can hear bonus episodes. We just put out a bonus episode that we've heard a lot of great and positive feedback on. Thank you very much. About the Titanic dead and the recovery efforts that happened after the Titanic went down. And then we answered a bunch of your questions, not about the Titanic dead, but about ourselves and about our show in our next episode episode will be a continuation of our conversation about In Just Like That. And even if you are not a Sex in the City fan, even if you are not a In Just Like That fan, we talk about all sorts of life issues <laughs> in that show. So I think that it will appeal to you no matter what. So find us there. Thank you very much, supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much to Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine and Nashville, Tennessee, though they do work through these here in the United States. If you need that kind of work done, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. We have playlists that accompany each of our episodes. You can find that linked in the show notes. Okay, let's dive in to Anastasia in all things Don Bluth with our fabulous guest, Dana Schwartz. Hello, Sarah Marshall. I don't know how to say hello in Russian. Hi, Alex Steed. <laughs> All right. Start us off with telling us what is Anastasia. Yeah. Well, I am actually going to answer question A by partly answering question C, what is the Bluth universe, by saying Anastasia <laughs> is a movie about how Don Bluth, creator of Fievel, 
loves the czar. It's very interesting <laughs> to start off with because Dana. <laughs> yeah, uh, Czar Nicholas, for you know some good things he did, was not great when there were a lot of anti-Jewish pogroms in Russia. And the reason that Fievel had to come to America is similar to the reason that my own great-grandparents had to come to America, is that people in Russia and the Russian leadership were terrible to them. Mm. Alex, do you, do you know this about Fievel? Yes, I do. Totally. I, I was wondering what Don's relationship with Judaism was generally... I think he's actually not Jewish, which, and I think it's because Spielberg was so important to Fievel. Dana? I was going to say that. I think Fievel was a Steven Spielberg passion project. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. So once Spielberg's not on deck, it's a pro-Zar operation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. I would just like to add for people who haven't watched An American Tale since they were a small child... It's an incredible film, and one of the amazing details of it is that when the opening scene pogrom is happening, there are little cats that go with the Cossacks, I assume, who are also committing pogroms. And so it's like, I think that's brilliant in terms of what children can understand. It's like, cats, mice, gotta go to America. It really explains immigration mm. as a concept, don't you think? Somewhere <laughs> out there beneath the um, <laughs> so Anastasia, it's, it's just funny to me that like we're kind of in the neighboring story to an American tale and it's just like, fuck those mice, basically. <laughs> an American tale is happening on the ground level right. story while like she's like waltzing in her jeweled ball gown. It's like the mice are really small, but also happening at the same time. Yes. And there's royal mice and Dimitri mice and oh my goodness. Yeah. And so we open with just a really beautiful sweeping opening sequence. A lot of people tend to think this is a Disney movie. And I think it's because this is an incredibly grand princess movie that really like wows you in the beginning the way Disney tends to. And we're narrated by Angela Lansbury, poached from Disney, who's playing Anastasia's grandmother. And they're at this 300 year anniversary celebration of the Romanovs being in power of all Russia. And it's beautiful. It's like Russian arc. The grandmother and Anastasia are having this wonderful moment where she gives her a music box and the key to it is a little pendant that says together in Paris. And then at that very ball, Rasputin shows up and he's like, I Rasputin by myself. I'm going to take down the Romanovs. This is not political. I just hate you. It's a personal grudge. It's a personal grudge. <laughs> and I'm going to kill you all. And I honestly kind of think it's genius for them to tell the story that way because for one thing it doesn't prejudice children against socialism that's true <laughs> it's also genius because we don't have to reckon with czar nicholas ii's like terrible actions as a czar exactly you don't have to be like listen the chickens have come home to roost but don't kill the kids at least right it, there's nuance there's complication it's a conversation that adults need to be having yeah revolution is hard yeah it's basically it's like you know sometimes when you have something some other people want it that's what we're dealing with like we don't go deeper yeah. than that <laughs> like we're just right like, you wanted to have a party and this guy didn't want you to have a party it's like sleeping beauty yeah i was gonna say it's very maleficent showing yeah up. oh my god right because i just think that if you're gonna make an animated movie of history you might as well go so far off book that it's no longer recognizable as history in most ways <laughs> 
We're going to need to add another entry to the order of operations mm-hmm. because I have seen the Anastasia stage production musical. Okay. Oh, yep. I think, Sarah, you are dead on with that point where you got to choose to either make it realistic or just fairy tale. And they made the baffling decision to keep it as this musical, mm-hmm. but to like try to anchor it in real Russia mm-hmm. and like the real Russian revolution. Like the villain's not Rasputin. The villain is the son of a Bolshevik guard named Gleb. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. No, you need Rasputin. He falls apart and bounces around. And he sings in the dark of the night, which is great. The musical cut that song, which is no, a big mistake. No, that's their strongest song. <laughs> I know. And the most theatrical song. Imagine <laughs> having a Broadway musical and being like, that's the song we get rid of. No villain song for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. You need the villain song. So yeah, Rasputin is just, he's it. He's everything. And we have a scene where Anastasia and her grandmother are trying to escape. It's very dramatic. They're on a train. Their hands slip away from each other and then we cut forward to unrelated to these events we're now in a drab socialist country where everyone is in bread lines but there's a rumor that Anastasia might be still alive and Dimitri the grown-up kitchen boy we last saw and his friend Kelsey Grammer are living in Anastasia's former palace that nobody else seems to want to live in and (laughs) they are holding casting calls for a fake Anastasia so they can take her to her grandmother in Paris and collect 10 million rubles. I will say the most iconic performance in this movie is the woman who drops her coat and goes grandmama it's me (laughs) Anastasia she's got a great future it's like and that was Marlena Dietrich (laughs) (laughs) I do want to speak to like I know the history of what happened here Uh I know this story Mm -hmm. but because of the weird tone I was like, oh, no, is Rasputin Jewish in this? <laughs> like, I was nervous. I was like, oh, God, like, we're going to have to do more unpacking than normal. And then, no, he's just a evil sorcerer. Rasputin couldn't have been Jewish in real life, right? They could they wouldn't have let him in. No, he was, he was a, an Orthodox. He was a holy man. I will also say it's pretty funny to me that the whole opening song is about St. Petersburg. That's like, really? And yet at no point historically was that city called St. Petersburg. <laughs> After World War One, they made it Petrograd to get rid mm-hmm. of like the German. So like during the Rasputin curse scene, it would have mm-hmm. been Petrograd. And then after the revolution, it was Leningrad. They have a, sing a whole song about St. Petersburg. At no period <laughs> in history would this be St. Petersburg. They could have done a great Petrograd song. Yeah. Kids can understand that that's a word. Yeah, the kids don't know St. Petersburg. They could right. learn Petrograd, but no, it's the fact that cities change names, I think, is confusing for kids who just got object permanence. Mm, yes. It's true. And yet we're expected to learn 50 capitals. So, anyways, Dimitri and Kelsey Grammer meet Anya, an orphan with amnesia, when she wanders in looking for a travel visa so she can go to Paris to look for. The lost family she assumes she has because when she was found wandering on the streets with no memory, she had a pendant that said, together in Paris. We know what that means. Although, I'm so sorry, I keep interrupting with historical tidbits because I can't No, it's like pop-up video. (laughs) The czar's mother, Maria Fedorovna, Mm -hmm. was not French. She never went to France. She was the daughter of the king of Denmark. And so she went after they escaped Mm. to England. I mean, she did escape the, you know, Russian revolution. Her sister was the dowager queen of England. She goes to England and then she goes back to Copenhagen where she's from. But I guess like together in Copenhagen, 
doesn't have quite as much of a ring to it. <laughs> Maybe if they put it in Anastasia, there would have been a little wave of study abroads in Copenhagen. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. Well, it felt like they really wanted to portray Paris at this time. The studio was like, we got to do 20s Paris. Just do it. They were like, kids <laughs> love 20s Paris. And if we don't give the kids 20s Paris, they're going to be pissed. These kids will <laughs> buy their tickets expecting to see Josephine Baker, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Walking a leopard, was she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to go on the record and remind the audience that I know I'm, I'm not mad that it takes place in Paris. Paris is fun, <laughs> but it would bother me if you thought that I didn't know mm-hmm. that Dagmar of Denmark then left and spent the rest of her life in Copenhagen. I guess I also assume that Copenhagen is harder to fit on a pendant. You got to think about the poor animators. But yeah, so obviously you can imagine what happens next. It's kind of like leap year. Anya and Dimitri have a picaresque Indiana Jones type voyage to Paris gradually from St. Petersburg. And there's like this incredible action sequence with a train exploding, which I was not expecting to be there. <laughs> it was like Rogue One. Rasputin now has demons. Oh, yeah. Like of little, little minions doing like hijinks. They're like the gremlins. On the plane of Twilight Zone. Yes, they are. But like oozier. And it's also, it reminds me of the slugs in Fern Gully. Oh, yeah. Neat. And so also Bartok, our cute little bat friend, is dealing with the fact that his master Rasputin has returned from limbo and sung his amazing banger, Dark of the Night. Bartok is constantly unpleasantly reminded that his master wants to murder this girl. Yeah. Bartok is a huge narc in this movie. (laughs) He's constantly narking on Anastasia. And yet I love him and he's adorable. I think everyone loved Bartok because that's, I really remember Bartok mania from when this movie came out. Alex, do you remember the Bartok Burger King toy? Yeah, that's the only thing I remember. Yeah. He had little pink eyes. Yeah, Bartok appeared in Burger King commercials. Oh, yeah, he did. Big year for Hank Azaria. Great for Hank Azaria. <laughs> Taking The Simpsons out because The Simpsons changes everything, but like I mm. think this is probably a top three Hank Azaria role. It's my favorite Cindy Lauper song. The one at the end? No, The Simpsons changes everything. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, yes. And so <laughs> they have a journey to Paris. They're on a collision course with Rasputin. They obviously gradually fall in love. They take Anya out of her little Bolshevik tunic, which is obviously her most iconic look, and put her in a succession of gowns. <laughs> and then she thinks that Dimitri is only interested in collecting the 10 million rubles. And then he, find, he finds out that he didn't want the prize money at all. And then even though she's been reunited with her grandmother and has found the family she's always wanted, she's realized that on the journey there... She fell in love with the annoying guy she was traveling with, and they're going to go off and be in love and do non-princess stuff, which I was not expecting. It was really fun. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah! Yeah. Most movies are. She realizes that she'd rather be in love as a normal person Mm. than live as a princess. There's some Roman holiday energy. Yeah. A little bit of Ninochka. I don't know this. It's a rom-com about a runaway Russian nobleman and the now communist woman who comes to like orchestrate this reclaiming of property. Oh, beautiful. And then while she's in Paris and she's like, I'm a no-nonsense comrade. And he's like, I'm a bon vivant. And it's a rom-com for them. Yeah. Wonderful. It's fun. You should watch it. I think you like it. I will. This sounds great. Okay, Dana. Yeah. Resident historian. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. does this diverge from reality? <laughs> oh, very few places. No, I'll start. 
<laughs> we begin in St. Petersburg, which would have been called Petrograd at this time. Okay, that's a start. So location is wrong. <laughs> location incorrect. I think the main thing that this movie does, which I do not fault them for, and I think if I was making a children's Anastasia movie, I would do the exact same thing, which is not get into the political machinations of either the Bolsheviks or the Romanov family. The thing that this movie does not represent is that the overthrow of the czar was not just one personal wizard's grudge, <laughs> but was <laughs> but was a, you know, long time in progress because of abuses of power and a starving population. At this point, Nicholas was known as Bloody Nicholas because I think in 1905, but I might be wrong on that actual date, there was a, an event called Bloody Sunday where a group of peaceful protesters were basically massacred by guards because they were trying to present a petition to him. And so he was known as a violator of human rights. As we mentioned, he was the basically tacit, implicit cause of a bunch of Jewish mice needing to flee to America. <laughs> and then being separated as families briefly yeah. because of mishaps along the way. Heartbreaking. But my great great grandfather also came to America, which is a good sign. For me, personally. Yeah, so historically, though, Tsar Nicholas did... I mean, he was, like, a good family man. He, like, loved his children and would, like, doted on them and, you know, was married to one of Queen Victoria's granddaughters, which was great for him. But he was a bad czar. I'll go on the record as saying, maybe good at being a father, <laughs> bad at running an empire. I think people get very confused about that. Yeah, you could be a nice guy and just be like, oh, maybe he shouldn't be the autocrat of a nation. Yeah, reasonable. <laughs> Absolutely fair. And just like I will personally say, I don't think that the system of government should have been a czar, but I also at the same time can hold in my head that I don't think five children should have been stabbed to death in a basement. Yeah, it seems like both things can be true. When do you ever need to stab five children to death in a basement? I would honestly say never, you know? Yeah, almost never. <laughs> <laughs> Excluding possible, like, demonic possession, horror movie type situations. Children, Hitler clones. Zombies. They should have stabbed that little girl in Night of the Living Dead sooner than they did. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in a basement. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what if this is, like, a mishap where you have to, like, go back and kill Hitler, but then he's been cloned five times? <laughs> <laughs> never say never, but seriously. <laughs> never say never. I'm not a fan of the way that the Bolshev... Basically, what happened was the overthrow of the Tsar. There are opposing factions because no revolution is like a monolith. And so there were various factions of this overthrowing government that is way too complicated to get into in a podcast about a children's film. <laughs> but they're moving this family from place to place. They're locked up in a former palace in Ekaterinburg, which is more, you know, distant Russia. The Red Army is sort of coming and the Bolsheviks who have captured the Romanovs panic and don't really know what to do. And they bring the family down to the basement and say, surprise, we're executing you. And because it's close quarters, they can't shoot them and they all miss and then have to stab them with bayonets. It was a brutal brutal massacre. The four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia, and the young son, Alexei, and their mother, Alexandra, and their father, Tsar Nicholas, died horrible. The international community did not know this happened, which is what initially spawns hmm. the rumors that one or hmm. more of the daughters survived. The international community at this point 
kind of knows like, oh, they're going to probably execute the king. They're going to put him on trial and kill the king, the czar. They're like, that's horrible, but I mm-hmm. bet it's going to happen. But like never did they think that they would kill the white. They were like, maybe Alexandra, because I hate her. But they never thought they would kill the five children. And so I think pretty much immediately after they did it, the Bolsheviks realized it was sort of a PR mistake. Mm. And this is going to be, if you haven't trigger warning before, but I imagine you have, they sort of, and this is another reason people didn't know what happened to the bodies. They acid them and bury them in unmarked graves in the woods mm. and separate them. So they later found some of them, but not all of them. And so, you know, years later when they were trying to piece together what happened, they hadn't found the place where the youngest daughter, Anastasia, was buried. If you, listener, haven't seen this movie, they touch on none of this in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Not one acid bath. Can you believe that? It's a brutal story. Exactly. There's something astounding about the journey between these two points. It's the power of story, really. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) But I will say, so for a long time, we have to rewind before we discover the bodies and the acid baths. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, where are the Romanovs? And the Bolsheviks are writing, being like, we put them on a train. Sorry, we lost track. We lost track of them. We put them on a train and they're gone. So they're putting out to the rest of the world like, no, they're alive. They're fine. They're just like, you know, at a farm upstate, I think. They're like... Did you go to FedEx.com and put in the tracking number? Because it'll tell you they're probably in a depot in St. Louis or something. Yeah, we put them on the train, so they're fine. We just don't know where they are. We just lost track of them. (laughs) But the czar's first cousin is King George V. And so his mother, the king of England's mother, was the sister of the Angela Lansbury Mm -hmm. character, Dagmar of of Denmark, who I guess in this Mm. movie is like British French. They... Mm -hmm get some of the extended family out to England. They save sort of the grandmother. So that does happen. And for years, people kind of find out then that the Tsar and Tsarina and children were executed, but they hadn't found all the bodies yet. They hadn't identified the remains because the executions weren't done in like a really orderly, methodical manner and the burials were haphazard. So there's certain stories about imposter Anastasias, women who... I think probably were either mentally ill or scammers or both, but who claimed to be Anastasia, even though, unfortunately, once DNA evidence becomes a thing in the, I think the late 90s, they do this. They had uncovered all the remains and they proved without a shadow of a a doubt that it was the full remains of Grand Duchess Anastasia who was killed. Not so fun for the fairy tale, but for a lot of factors, it was sort of like a I want to say fun myth that maybe Anastasia survived. Mm. Sarah, this is the Jenny the Titanic cat. Anastasia is Jenny the Titanic cat. Yes, exactly. I was just thinking that. Yes. And the kittens. So, David, there's a <laughs> ship cat on the Titanic. His name was Jenny. His name? That's a great name for a boy cat. Sorry, her, her name. Her name was Jenny. Oh. And the week before the Titanic went out in the water, Jenny had kittens. And there was a guy named Jim and he worked on the ship, but he was supposedly volunteered to watch after Jenny, look over Jenny and Jenny had kittens. And then he noticed that right before the Titanic set sail that Jenny took 
the kittens off one by one and he was like this is a bad omen i'm getting off the ship oh. and he left the ship not confirmed we don't know the alternative is obviously jenny and her kittens drowned on the atlantic but because we don't have that confirmed people reverse engineered this legend that jenny got off the ship and is out somewhere with her kittens she's the anastasia of the Titanic. right I love Jenny. Jenny, the Anastasia of the kittens. I will continue to believe that they survived and lived long kitten lives and died old ladies warm in their beds. Yes, totally. And you know, the things that this movie sort of does get historically correct is Dagmar, who is also known as Maria Fedorovna, because you get a Russian name when you go to Russia. Hmm. She sort of did maintain that maybe some of her family survived. She thought maybe the czar survived her son. Like she was like, I've never seen his body. I think just like the way a mother would be really heartbroken if your entire family was killed, she did sort of maintain that there was a possibility of survival. She did get out, even though, as we said, she did not go to Paris. Anastasia was the youngest daughter, and she did have the reputation of being like the most charming, the most mischievous, always like pulling pranks and like cracking wise. So that's historically accurate. The drawing of her that they show, that was like a real drawing that Anastasia made. Oh, I love that. You know, she's like riding a, a little horse. This movie does a really fascinating thing with its animation. Yeah. Where yeah. 95% of it is 2D, classic, pristine, beautiful 90s animation. And then in some scenes, it's built around either like a 3D sort of CGI kind of set piece mm-hmm. or they build it around actual artifacts yeah. like hmm. there's these pictures of Anastasia right. that we see like in a frame the whole scene is built around the actual picture which is really incredible and I mean some of that animation is beautiful and the costume details are really accurate mm. they pulled it from real portraiture and like some of those portraits are the animated equivalent of real portraits mm. some of that is really beautiful so let's just recap quickly so we're on the same page because I want to lead to to Don Bluth mm. right so okay <laughs> Time, not great for the Jews. Also not great for Czar's daughters. Yeah. Not great for Czar's daughters. History full of nuance. <laughs> exactly. Acid bath kids, we've got Acid dead dogs. It's kids. a bad scene. Kids stabbed. It's a horrible yeah. scene. Horrible scene. But because of the dynamics that we talked about, it helped create a very hopeful myth that right. maybe this girl got out and there was a freedom or whatever. How do we get to Don Bluth? Going, I have infinite opportunities to bring stories to life for children. This is the one. Like, why do we know why this movie got made? I'm glad it did. It's great, but still. Yeah, do we? I do know Don Bluth was a former Disney animator who defected mm-hmm. with a lot of their top talent. Like Narev. <laughs> I love that, right? He was like frustrated that he couldn't be weird. Is that the case or is, was it deeper than that? No, I think that's kind of the narrative. Like he wanted to be darker and weirder, mm-hmm. which he nails. He absolutely nails. In terms of how this movie came to be, I think a good stop along the way is the movie starring i believe ingrid bergman and yule brenner oh i've never seen that called anastasia from i think the 50s dan i think it was based directly on the story of maybe the most prominent false anastasia anna anna anderson i think her name is yeah and so what was her deal i don't know the story in a ton of detail off the top of my head Mm -hmm. but she was basically a woman in germany who 
showed up in an insane asylum or was living in an insane asylum claiming that she was the lost Princess Anastasia. And it got some traction because there mm-hmm. were some like a few princes who had like met the young Anastasia once, you know, at court and a few noblemen were like, oh, no, it's her. It's her. Even though, you know, now looking back, it absolutely wasn't for a lot of reasons. But it captured the media attention at the time. Like the New York Times would write about this. Like, right. who is this woman? So it was like either a woman who was mentally ill or people thought that she was mentally ill because she was making this outlandish claim for financial gain, possibly. But that became sort of the most famous case because it got the most media attention and because allegedly people who had interacted with the real Anastasia backed up her story. Hmm. So this is one of those things that like because of situations like that, because the movie that happens in the 50s or whatever, like the myth of an escaped Anastasia exists for a very, very long time and has its own life. This isn't just like, let's rewrite Anastasia. And it's folklore. It's folklore. Yeah, it's folklore. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, the myth that she got away was real because it wasn't until Mm -hmm. DNA that we were able to confirm that one of those bodies was the actual Anastasia. And because they were buried in different spots for a very long time, they hadn't found her body. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. In this case, Anastasia wants to get away. She gets to Paris and she's reunited with her grandmother. In this universe, does she, as an escaped member of the royal family, have any power outside of just suddenly being wealthy? Like, what is the... That guy's like, you should bow to her. And I'm like, should should he? Is that... (laughs) Her country no longer has a monarchy. Oh, good point. Russia is no longer a monarchy. Wow. So Dimitri's just like dealing with a rich person. Yeah, when he's like, you should bow to her i was like wait i don't think that that is how it okay whatever she's queen of this living room (laughs) it's a defunct title it's a very like tree fall in the middle of a forest question where Hmm. it's like are you still a queen if your country isn't a monarchy anymore right but then dimitri and kelsey Grammer both still remember living in that world so it's like real to them maybe so that's nice he'll always do the dishes i hope and i guess she's still her What's the relation? If your grandmother's sister was the former queen of England. So like Mm. she still has family connections to continually ongoing monarchies. Mm. Yeah. She's probably the duchess of something small. Yeah. Like technically she would probably be titled in some way. Sarah, what? This was your first time watching this movie. Mm -hmm. Did you like it? Yeah, it was great. This was your first time watching this movie? Yes. Can you believe that? Yeah, because when this came out, I was nine. And because I was trying to be all precocious, I was like being a pick me fourth grader. And I was like, I'm too mature for Disney. I'm going to watch Practical Magic or whatever. And it was great. (laughs) And I would have loved it at that age because it's like so scary and full of spectacle and the songs are great. And I feel like it would have been nice if I had taken a little more time with princess movies. Also, Dimitri is a hunk. I feel like we haven't gone this far without mentioning what a little hunk Dimitri is. He's John freaking Cusack in his prime. He was like, yes, I will do this Don Bluth movie. I'm so happy he did. Floppy hair. They're like, we need a Gen X leading man. Yeah. Who's it going to be? Yes, they did need that. <laughs> oh, my God. And Meg Ryan, who's also great. Yes. Oh, so charming. Yeah, this movie has a lot of charm. I really loved this movie. 
What did you love about it? Okay, so this is a weird thing to love about it because it's actually not true. But like, I love for a movie that's like a princess movie and there's a man and like the, that whole dynamic thing that can be picked apart forever. It's mm-hmm. like really, despite the fact that there's a talking bat and there's an undead warlock, it really feels kind of rooted more in reality than a lot of like princess movies. It's a rom-com, right? It is. It's a rom-com, rom-com and their last scene it feels harrowing. It feels like actually harrowing in like a gritty human way where you're like, is she going to fall off that bridge? It feels like there's actual real action tension in this movie. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist in other great classic Disney movies. It just, this like a Bluth movie has that 20% extra gravity. You know, he like trades whimsy for gravity Mm. and this has that in it. Sarah, you know how you said this was 10 Things I Hate About You? Mm, mm-hmm. There's that scene in 10 Things I Hate About You at the end where the sister is at prom and she punches the boy in the face and she's like, that's for my sister and that's for me. It feels like <gasps> oh Anastasia. My God. Do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, totally. It feels like yeah. Anastasia gets that exact moment <laughs> with the Rasputin. Yes. She's like, that's for my family. Yes. Oh, it's so good. And also, I love that the puppy saves the day. Yes. That's always great. Yeah. That final battle. Das Vidanya. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. And you grew up with this, Dana? Oh, yeah. I'm one of three sisters. I have an older brother, but like the three sisters, I feel like we had a heavy rotation of Disney musicals, even though obviously this isn't a Disney musical. It's very much within that camp. And so this is you know, one of the main ones in rotation. We knew all the songs. We thought Dimitri, I thought Dimitri was a hunk. I mean, I could probably argue that my fascination with like noble history comes back to like the juxtaposition of glamour Mm. and tension and creepiness that comes from this movie. Like that hits all of my buttons, like dead royals. (sighs) That's like my lodestar. I feel like there's something about Rasputin where obviously a lot of supernatural stuff is happening with his depiction, but like he feels real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's a really interesting villain. Like he's funny. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's cursed until all the Romanovs are dead and he's like falling apart in spite of himself. It's a funny gag. It's like death becomes her. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's funny that he wants cologne because he needs to cover the fact that he smells like a rotting corpse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's also like the dark half. It's great. That's great for your kids movie. Being Christopher (laughs) Lloyd, it feels like the villain from Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Menacing like that guy is menacing. Oh, my God. But you have that in there, too, which I really, really like. Oh, well said. Yeah. He's so good at playing a tune. I saw him (laughs) Recently in that great action adventure movie that Bob Odenkirk was in, Christopher Lloyd plays his dad. It's called Nobody, and he plays his dad. And Christopher Lloyd, I think, maybe is 90 years old. I'm not exactly sure, but he is himself in that movie. He might as well be a cartoon. (laughs) He kind of looks like a cartoon at this point. It's great. I love him so much. Yes, I really enjoyed this movie. I care a lot about history, but I also feel like... I mean, I was thinking about how, Dana, when you did the You're Wrong About Anastasia episode, I knew that Anastasia didn't make it, but I didn't know in detail how horrible the not making it was for everybody. Yeah. And I think the, like, Anastasia got out somehow myth was, like, much bigger in my head than the reality. I think details make things a lot Mm. more real. And I grew up as the kid in the 90s watching a lot of cable specials that were like, did Anastasia survive? And they did a whole thing that ended with like, we don't know. And then they would have a little updated 
with DNA like postscript at the end that you had to read that was like, oh yeah, that wasn't yeah. her. She's dead. Bye. But like you just watched an hour being ambiguous yeah. about it. So obviously that feels real. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with conspiracy theories. It's like when you present the truth and the conspiracy theory together at the same time, you give them equal weight. Mm. It's like, well, you decide. Right. And it's like, well, which of these is more appealing? Yeah. The children all yeah. stabbed to death in the basement. I mean, somebody had to survive that. It's because obviously we're going to pick that one. A princess escaping and like running away like the last remnant of imperial czarist Russia. Yeah. Like it's symbolically beautiful in that way. Like it's inherently compelling. Yeah. And Alex, the uh, Ingrid Bergman movie that I mentioned before, they did the same plot line that we see here, which I think is so appealing where there's... Anastasia, who has amnesia, who doesn't know that she's the real Anastasia, who agrees to be part of a con to pretend to be Anastasia and then realizes along the way that she is the person she's pretending to be. <laughs> it's amazing. That's so good. Yeah, it's being an adult. <laughs> and I love like the fact that he's a scammer and he's cynical, but then she teaches him how to believe in the yeah. truth because she's real. Like he didn't believe that she actually got out. And then, you know, it's sweet. Yeah. To your point, though, like just following the timeline here, if this is like Anastasia, like 25 or 26, I probably based on the math, this is like 10 years later. I think they make her 18. In this movie, she went from eight to 18. Is that? Yeah, the probably. Yeah. She was found wandering when she was eight years old with no memory. Even yeah. though I think she was 13 or 14, maybe even 15 in history. Hmm, that's weird. Yeah, but you can't make a kid's movie about a 25-year-old. That's like middle right. age. Right. Yeah, geriatric. What you just described is like such an analogy. I don't know if like kids see it this way, but like it's such an analogy for becoming a grown-up, which is like... Huh. I had to pretend to be me. Oh, God. And then it turned out I was me. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so true. Oh, no. Right. Because, like, the first time, few times you go to Lowe's, you're like, I'm pretending to go to Lowe's. But you just really go to Lowe's exactly. and you buy stuff and then you have to put it together. And then, and then you become a Lowe's, a Lowe's right. expert who goes in with, like, people who haven't been on very often. Yeah. How do you do, sir? I am a fellow adult. <laughs> I'm not three dachshunds in a trench coat. No siree. Okay, this is so perfect. The fact that all of this is the case and then it becomes a kid's movie, I can think of no more Bluthy, yeah, Don Bluth movie than the fact that like Anastasia gets made into a kid's movie. Aside from obviously... The Secret of Nim. Yeah, and Pogrom Jumais and like the whole, like the secret in it. Like there's so many, he just deals with so much wild mm -hmm. imagery to put into kids' heads. Yeah. And I'm grateful for all of it. There are dancing bugs. There are. Yeah. So many of them. Oh my God. It's so good. And Sarah, how would you describe, I mean, I said earlier that I feel like it's like he switches out whimsy for gravity or something like mm -hmm. that. But like, what do you think are some of the Bluth signatures for the titles huh. that stick out to you? Huh. Okay. Don Bluth also did Land Before Time, which I think goes the hardest of any of these because it's just like nonstop peril and devastation. <laughs> and then what's funny about the land before time is that climate change is killing all the dinosaurs and then they come to the Great Valley and they're like, we'll be safe here for a while because like obviously the planet is being destroyed for habitation by dinosaurs, but this is like a last little okay mm. place. And then I think the outro is like, and Littlefoot and his children and his children's children lived in the Great Valley. And it's like, okay, but like not his children's children's children, though, or or what? And then what's funny is that the sequels, 
to the land before time just become this like meaningless episodic sitcom like world where no time passes and Littlefoot and his friends never grow up and they keep having adventures that bring them back to where they started and nothing matters which I think is so funny that the land before time started off as this unbelievably depressing parable of how climate change meant that like the best you can hope for is finding a nice stopover before certain extinction, which the dinosaurs finale was also about (laughs) and that the sequels made it into something so user friendly. So I think that like Bluth stories are about death on a larger scale than Disney. Disney movies are like, sometimes your dad dies and that's sad. And Bluth movies are like, sometimes you're exiled from your country or your planet. Isn't the czarist Russia or, you know, monarchies in general, really a story about a species going extinct? Right. Or people trying to drive others into extinction. So it's like climate or human evil. Take your pick. I feel like one of the defining things about Bluth is Disney is basically grim tales stripped of all Mm. of the terror in one way or another. And like they use the structure and then it sort of like create like its own mystical and sort of magical universe. And Bluth is like, what if we kept one Mm. foot in terror? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if we thought kids could handle some wild shit? Like I think all the things that Bluth probably felt like he was being restrained by in the Disney universe, like there's a lot of cool stuff in that. But like he was just like, some kids are weird and we need to honor that. I mean, we see Rasputin's body literally falling apart. Like some of the imagery is gruesome. Like we see bones. What I appreciate about that is that I think Disney is like kids can't handle peril in action, but what they can handle is unbelievable sadness. And I think that like sadness without peril is just like it's too sad. It's just overwhelming. Like what if Bambi's mom died and he was chased by a sharp tooth for like 15 minutes or whatever? That sadness would dissipate because of the adrenaline that coursing through your tiny body. I can't think of a Disney movie where a train car is detached from the main train by creepy hell gremlin <laughs> and then falls off a cliff in an actual explosion. Right. And at the same time, this feels like the tamest yeah. movie I've ever seen because there are so many opportunities to talk about dead family. Right. And I think probably because it's so gruesome that they never go deep on it. <laughs> They're like, and then the family, they didn't make it. Yep. I will say, mm-hmm. so in the Broadway musical, which is an adaptation Really of this, like a lot of the songs are the same. He's Dimitri. His character is pretty much the same. The villain is a man named Gleb, whose dad was one of the Bolsheviks who actually shot the czar. And they talk about that. So they were like, okay, let's make it grounded. Like this takes place in Leningrad. Okay. They do try to ground it with that like terror. (laughs) But the problem is Gleb as a villain isn't fun. He's just like... My dad Mm. killed the Romanovs and I don't think Romanovs should be alive anymore. History wants them dead and I'm going to kill her. It's like, so you didn't sell your soul or anything cool like that? (laughs) Yeah, you're not literally a demon falling apart. Your flesh wasn't ripped off your body into an acid green whirlwind. Yeah. So nothing fun like that. (laughs) Unfortunately, the musical like wasn't that good because the sets were all like, it was just like a green screen in the background doing like something CGI and it wasn't that compelling. Oh no, you gotta build stuff. They cut all the fun songs and like added a bunch of boring songs. But there is like one scene where you see like the ghosts of her family with like soldiers with guns like advancing towards them. And you're like, oh, oh man, that is scary. Oh, wow. They tried to have their cake and eat it too a little bit by like adding back the visceral horror, but cutting back on the fun. 
it's really hard to have a grounded historical villain probably in a play especially because like you have to do so much work to explain the motivation behind the pathos like you have to be like and here's the thing and there's a dad and they're like all that shit but like if just supernatural it's easy you could be like there's a curse Mm -hmm. your power is in a flimsy glass jar the fact that he is Mm -hmm. kind of like a supernatural being does a lot of lifting that it's hard to get in otherwise in a compelling way without making it about that person right and like if you're you're trying to ground it Historically, you have to be able to, in some satisfying way, answer the question of how could a revolution driven by, in large part, the attempt to overthrow an obviously unjust and violent system of power, why would it murder the little girls? Yeah, well, it's like that's a very human thing, right? Like panic and chaos and like justifiable anger can curdle into like sort of a a vicious hatred and like a you sort of lose touch with your humanity and like I think that group think and panic causes people to do things that they otherwise in like an individual context would never do right but that's not a fun you don't want to hear dancing bears painted wings in the next song after that (laughs) no listen some nine-year-olds are like really emotionally intelligent and they are like really ready to dig in about that during their entertainment but i don't think that there's that many of them so i think the thing that like strikes me without being able to pinpoint any of the details it's just like a memory of vibe from bluth movies is they did a really good job as far as i can remember of illustrating that like the world not just the outside world not just like out there but the world that you inhabit feels menacing a lot mm-hmm. of the time mm-hmm. and it's not just a one-on-one like your antagonist is the menace it's just the world feels menacing i mean yeah this is a universe where someone could sell their soul to a devil the devil yeah dance with enchanted bugs <laughs> with a cursed what did, what would you call that thing his glass full of magic his juice yeah his magic <laughs> like that's menacing i love that i mean i remember like reading the original pre like christian conversion grim tales mm-hmm. to like a young family member of mine once oh boy. And she was like she was, she was just kind of like why does it end like that and i was like because some things end like that and she's like i like that that's really it like a lot of fairy tales do and just like and sucks for them <laughs> and she turned into seafoam sucks for them I love, or there's no arc it's just like and they were still starving and you're like <laughs> and she had to dance in red hot shoes until she dropped dead so don't <laughs> steal someone's identity kids good night i wonder if because this does feel like such a like screwball romantic comedy whether there is room for a live action remake that has the fun elements of it without getting into the you know icky parts of it yes starring lily james oh i think 10 years ago i think like this would die in twitter commentary development live action bluth remakes live action secret of nim (laughs) get favreau on it i don't want a live action snow white and the seven dwarves I want a live action Anastasia. Show me the murder of the Romanov family. Yeah. Don't you also think I'm just dealing with some mice right now. Rats get so much bad press, but mice are merciless. They eat everything. They are merciless. If we're talking mice slash rats, it was actually the mice rat combo that led to the Disney Renaissance. Because as we sort of alluded to before, Don Bluth 
defected from Disney animation and took a bunch of their top talent. And so Disney, that was like a kick in the teeth to them. And Disney animation was in a real low period. This is like the age of like Rescuers Down Under, Black Cauldron. Like they moved away from musicals because they want to do stupid things, sort of entice older kids and boys. Yeah. And the weekend that An American Tale comes out, they also had a mouse movie based on a book called Basil of Baker Street that became The Great Mouse Detective. And (laughs) Disney's got beat in the box office by Don Bluth's mouse movie, which really, I think, was a something in their craw. What's that phrase? It really got to them. They got out-moused. The mouse itself, Disney, got out-moused. By Don Bluth and DreamWorks. Yeah. Was the outmousing because of the song? Probably. Because that song was all places. <laughs> Wait, what song? Oh, Somewhere Out There? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's the big song from The Great Mouse Detective that everyone knows? Like, I don't think... Radigan. Radigan? Radigan. <laughs> is Moriarty. It's a rat named Radigan. It's a very funny gag that they have for Radigan. Their villain, who's like Moriarty, is a giant rat. But he insists that he's a mouse and makes everyone yeah. around him like gaslight each other because he wants to be a mouse. He's like, I love that. It's a, it's a funny gag, but there's no good song from it. Yeah. They're both great movies. It's just that like, I mean, an American tale is just so emotionally powerful. And The Great Mouse Detective is one of the better Sherlock Holmes adaptations of the decade, which is not nothing. But Disney's ego was so bruised at losing the mouse off between Bluth. But then they were like, all right, we got to go all in. This Little Mermaid really has to happen. <laughs> I, I meant that question as like a joke, but like I actually think that like that song probably is what won it because like this is the point where Disney's now like every movie needs a song. I mean, we've covered the history as to why this happened to how this mm-hmm. happened. But like every movie from now on needs a song we can put on the radio and like that banger brings people into mm. the movie. Right. Yeah, there was no adult contemporary cover of Radigan by Linda Ronstadt that I know of. (laughs) Right, that's what I mean, yeah. There should be, though. Yeah, oh my God. And we talk so much about this, but like the 80s really is like when the power of the soundtrack starts to become huge. Also, think about how Christina Aguilera's reflection basically made Christina Aguilera a star. Seriously. I thought of her as the girl from the Mulan soundtrack for years. She was. What more do we want to say about this before we get to the rapping question? I like this movie. I think it's a fun time. I think Meg Ryan and John Cusack have fun chemistry. I think if you're going to make a movie about the Russian Revolution that doesn't touch any of the political or social nuances of the Russian Revolution... Having the villain be an evil wizard is a fun way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Sarah, what's your take? I agree. And I think as someone who's kind of a stickler for historical accuracy, generally, I'm really enjoying thinking about this philosophy of like, listen, like inevitably we're going to want to make stories that have some relation to real life because that's what folklore is. So like maybe the best way to do it is to just like really embrace it being folklore and not try to be accurate because then the actual people who the events are connected to seem much hazier than if we were trying to act like this had a firm grounding in reality. And if you're just like, nope, there's a talking bat, (laughs) then like no one's going to get confused about it. That's well said. Yeah. 
I loved this. Like there are certainly just complaints about what is good and what is not good kids media. I don't know if they're just, compl- I don't know why I said that, like I'm protecting anyone, but I would enthusiastically and eagerly show this to my children and share it with them while using it as an opportunity to talk about how sometimes real acts are portrayed differently in movies or real, real life is portrayed differently in movies mm. only later when I want to kill fun for them. But yeah, in, in all, I loved this movie. I loved everything about it, honestly, like all the voice acting is great all the actors that mm-hmm. show up are fantastic we get john cusack which like what's not to love we get frazier we get bernadette peters oh bernadette peters yeah jk simmons is in this and i don't know who he played but i know he was in it because i saw the cast listing who was jk simmons i don't know it just says jk simmons there's no explanation as who he is in the movie it's just early jk simmons joint. i'm gonna imdb this yeah i'm sure everyone knows this because for anyone who doesn't He's also the yellow M&M. Oh, wild. He's been the yellow M&M forever. Yeah, I only just learned that. I think Hank Azaria, I mean, we we talked about this. He really nails Bartok. Yeah. Dude, the Bartok character is phenomenal. Oh. J.K. Simmons is just ensemble character vocals. Oh. Could be anyone. Wow. Yeah. I, this is kind of early in his career, isn't it? I think, probably. Well, not really. I think he's already the psychiatrist on Law & Order. Oh, okay. Kind of a demotion. Jim Cummings is Rasputin's singing voice. He's Winnie the Pooh, right? Yeah. Nice. That's range right there. Wow, and Kirsten Dunst voices young Anastasia. Yes, she sure does. Aww. Love Kiki. This is also a funny moment because you can see this as an early stage of the like, you know how we get adults to go to see animated movies? We get them to sit the entire time if they're not enjoying it, at least wondering who they're hearing. And then when the credits roll, they'll go, oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. So we know uh, Anastasia's dad was executed. Her father was executed. Uh-huh. Thank you for saying that two times. Well, I wanted to make sure we were talking about a father, not a dad, because we wanted to go to who the daddy is. Oh, yeah, I see. Of course. All right. We know Nicholas was the father. Who is the daddy? Oh, is it Vladimir? Kelsey Grammer's character. Mm. Why? I, you can't explain it. He's just, he's he's the daddy. The zaddy, like, I mean, Dimitri's a hunk, but he's a boyish hunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I loved the Kelsey Grammer character. When you were off mic, I was trying to incorporate a Frasier theme song in Russian accent joke, but that's as far as I got with it because I'm afraid to do it. I'm going to try it and okay. everyone can just leave me alone. All right. <laughs> Oh, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salad and scrambled eggs. Yes. I don't know what accent that is, but it's something. That's some kind of a voice. I liked it. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking that set up and going with it. <laughs> Good night, Leningrad. We love you. I hope that wasn't offensive. No. Not at all. To Kelsey Grammer? Absolutely not. No, that was a gift. And a gift to the <laughs> Russian people. Sarah, who's your daddy? It's got to be Bartok, I think, because he really like stole America's heart and he works for a really bad guy. But he managed to like get out from under his boss. And then he had a spinoff movie called Bartok the Magnificent a couple of years later. America just fell for Bartok. I'm very proud of him. America does love Bartok. <laughs> it does feel like when Bartok in overhearing the song about how like Anastasia is going to get killed and he's like, oh, we're into killing her now. It's like <laughs> the experience of like working at any corporation where you're like, I was in for the benefits and it turns out we're doing a horrible thing. Right. And then he has to leave, which is 
good for him. Yeah, I'm seconding Bartok. I love yeah. anything Hank Azaria does ever, with the exception of probably a lot of roles he shouldn't have done in The Simpsons. His main role. <laughs> I love Hank Azaria so much. I love this character. I love it being a bat. You know what's a great character he does on The Simpsons? What's that? Mo. Oh, great character. Oh, of course. Mo is like rather lovable and in kind of a Bartoky way. There's a little bit of a crossover there. Yeah. <laughs> Dana, how can people who listen to our show who somehow don't know who you are, which, by the way, I will say when we've been posting pictures of your book and stuff, people have been sending us pictures of them receiving your book. Oh, that makes me so happy. So just know ones you haven't seen our listeners you're buying. So tell people what to support and all of that. Let me add a corollary question. I would love for you to talk about your book a little bit because I want people to read it, whatever you want to say about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wrote a novel that's called Anatomy, A Love Story. You can find that at your local bookstore wherever books are sold. Or I guess if you really have to, Amazon, but I prefer, you know, your local bookstore, but everyone has their own limitations. And you can find me on the podcast. I do a podcast called Noble Blood. I do have an episode about Anastasia, but more about Nicholas II, who's her father, who did more of the, you know, action involved. She was just sort of sad. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, all Dana Schwartz with three Zs. If you like the scenes of Rasputin's deceased body, death becomes her apart, I think you might like <laughs> this book. It's a story about a young woman in 1800 Scotland who wants to be a surgeon and this is the era where surgeons learned about anatomy from grave robbing mm. it's a fun jaunt but I really do think it is I think it's like a hopefully like escapist book if you want to be sort of transported to a different slightly spooky but fun time period I find it very soothing to read about medicine of relatively recent history because the medical field of the time you're writing about like we're escaping to another time period and we can also be like wow I'm so glad I can get a colonoscopy or whatever. Imagine having to do surgery without anesthesia. Uh, It would be bad. Horrendous. That's always what I think of when people are like, oh, imagine the good old days. That would have been great. And you're like, no, there's no good old days. Mm -hmm. We live in a time period with air conditioning and deodorant. All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you, Dana, for being here. Don't forget to check out Dana's book, Anatomy, A Love Story. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode. Carolyn Kendrick makes music for the show. And a while back, we released a volume of music from the show called The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. You can find it on some of the streaming services and you can find it on Bandcamp. If you ever want to support an artist, I highly recommend you buy their albums on Bandcamp if you're able to do so. So anyway, regardless of how you go about it, you can find The Music of You Are Good Volume 1 on Bandcamp. You can find it on some streaming services and you can find Carolyn's EP, Tear Things Apart, on those places as well. Thank you so much to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. We couldn't do it without you, Miranda. Thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash you are good. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone, for your support. Uh, Thank you for listening. You can find us on social, on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much to Fresh Lesh for the beats, for making all of our transitions flawless. All right. I think that's all you need to know for now. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for being here. You are good.